Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. This week, we are in our third week of the Breaking Bad series. And if you know anything about the Breaking Bad series, first of all, you'll know that it's a challenge as a pastor to try to preach a a sermon series off of that TV series. All right. But here's what we know, that the the TV series is based off of a high school chemistry teacher who made some decisions, what, what the world would call Breaking Bad. He had a choice, and he chose the bad decision. And each one of those bad decisions came with some consequences and some repercussions in his life. And what happened is he just kept going down that road, and guess what? He had a chance to make another decision, and he made another bad decision. And he did the season after season until finally it all came to an end. And it wasn't the end that he was looking for. And the reality is that our lives are not much different than what that TV show depicted. And that is, a lot of times we have the opportunity to make a decision. And more often than not, I bet that we make the bad decision. We break bad. And so last week I talked about the topic of when God-sized dreams come crashing down. And how that Samson was born for a purpose. He knew his mom and dad had told him hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times as he was growing up, what he was destined for. And that was to strike the Philistines. And he did that. Yet he became complacent. And the pride of life took over. And the pride of life started making some of his decisions. And Samson himself broke bad. And so this week, I want to talk to you about the topic of this. Wanting it all and ending up with nothing. Now, in in the bulletin, you'll see that there's the the passage that that I've based all this off of is 1 John 2, 16. And 1 John 2, 16 says this, For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, And so the first week, I actually started with the lust of the eyes and talked about greed. And then last week, I talked about the pride of one's lifestyle. And this week, I want to talk about the lust of the flesh and how that the flesh wants to have everything. But because of the way the flesh is designed, we typically end up with nothing when we follow that voice that speaks to us. And I would like to label the flesh, the the lust of the flesh as the me monster. I don't know if you've ever had that me monster um, come up, but I've had it happen in my life every once in a while. Um, Sometimes the me monster sounds like this, this little voice in your ear that says, me, 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 me. And you listen to that, and, and you don't think of it as a monster, but trust me, this is just a, a, the, that little voice becomes a, a, a giant monster in our lives and takes over. And, and so if you would, if, go to the book of Luke and put a place marker at uh, chapter 15, and then switch over to the book of Proverbs, and I'm going to start reading in chapter 7.
And in Proverbs chapter 7, I'm going to start reading verse 6. It says this, at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. Now, the person writing Proverbs uh, at this point is Solomon. Now, Solomon is, was uh, labeled the wisest man who walked the earth. And so you know that this is about 35 years later from the, the first sermon I preached when David walked on the same roof and he looked out and he saw Bathsheba. Well, Solomon is up there now, and I don't know if the lattice was there before or if Solomon said, you know what, I think I'm going to put a little bit of a fence up here so people can't see what's going on on, on our roof. And so he's looking through that lattice. And as he looks through the lattice, he says this, I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a man lacking sense. Now, who's, who's the author here? Solomon, wisest man in on the earth, the son of King David. Who's the young man? Well, the young man could be anybody. I think when David was writing this, the young man was his father. I think as we sit here in 2018, the young man is us. Could be a young lady, could be a young man. And as I read this passage, I want you to think about you in this passage. And, and, and so I'm going to do something different this morning because a lot of times if you've ever read Proverbs 7, you've probably stood back and said, you know what? I'd never do that. And I want to show you that I really believe that Solomon, the wisest man, and through Scripture, ordained by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this in such a way that it speaks much farther than that one young man that he saw in the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and he called this young man, he defined him, put a label on him. He said it was a young man lacking sense. And so before I go any further, I want to explain to you the difference between being ignorant and being stupid. Okay, Because this young man, a young man lacking experience, is probably someone that I would define as he was ignorant. He, he didn't know better. All right. Um, If you know better and you do something, that's when you hit the second word, and that's stupid. Okay. Now, so let me kind of illustrate this in in a time in my life where I was both ignorant and then eventually stupid. Uh, And and so it happened that uh, our family had um, just stopped at a gas station, and um, I wanted to check the oil. And so I popped the hood, I got out, I filled up the gas tank, I didn't check the oil, I got back in, we're pulling out onto the highway, and as we're pulling out onto the highway, I get to cruising speed, which is about 90 miles per hour. And, um, and I get there quickly, and so as I'm going, um, we noticed that the hood started vibrating. Okay, now at this point, I'm ignorant. Because I'm basing what I see off of, I was driving a Ford Escort, and in the Bible college, I had, was driving a Ford Escort, not the same one, thing, praise the Lord, um, but I was driving another Ford Escort, and I had done something similar, and while I'm driving the Ford Escort, years ago, in Bible college, a six-hour trip, I noticed that the hood was bouncing. And so, um, I was a 17-year-old young man lacking sense. And so as a 17-year-old young man lacking sense, did I pull over and fix it? 
No, I drove. I drove all six hours with the, the hood doing this. All right, and when I got there, I found out, praise the Lord, that Ford made a, a safety latch. So when you do that, there's a little hook that holds it from, like it'll go up a little bit, but you gotta go under there and release that, and then you can lift your hood up. Well, now I'm a 32-year-old, not so young man, and I'm still lacking sense, and I just hit cruising speed, 90 miles per hour. And it starts doing that. And my wife looks over and she says, do you think that that's going to be a problem? And I said, no. And then I started, I started to explain why because of that trip I'd made years ago as a 17-year-old young man lacking sense. And before I could get one more word out, the hood wrapped itself around the, the windshield. Okay, yes, it did. And so our car got very excited at that point. And so Carrie, I don't know if she had a seatbelt on or not, but she was out of it. And she's looking back. I mean, I mean, just she's doing this, trying to like keep her two young precious cargo safe, you know, and I am like in focus mode. And so the only way I could see was there's this little grill at the bottom where they spray up the, the windshield. That's all I had. How fast was I going? I was still going 90 miles per hour, and I'm looking down through this, and she's talking to me, and I'm like, you know, waving her off. I'm trying, you know, I'm still going, and I want to get off the side of the road, but I got a problem. When you're doing 90 miles per hour on the highway, are you in the right-hand lane? No, I wasn't, okay? And so there was other traffic out there with me, and so now I'm, I'm, I've got this hood wrapped around my windshield. I'm driving through the little grill, and I finally, through God's Mercy got it off to the side of the road. See, when I drove up to Indiana years and years ago, I was ignorant. When my wife said, do you think that's going to be a problem? And I said, no, I was stupid. Okay. See, that's the difference between being ignorant and being stupid. And so as I talk to you today, and please take this as a pastor, all right? Some of you about the topic I'm about to cover are ignorant. Some of you are just like me when I was 32 years old. And you know better. And you're still getting on the highway. And you're going to get your car up there. And it may not end as safely as mine did. So hear my heart when I say that, all right? So let me go ahead and read verse 8 to you. And verse 8 says this in Proverbs 7. It says, crossing the street near her corner, this young man who lacked sense, he strolled down the road to her house at twilight in the evening in the dark of night. Okay, there's a reason why it was twilight in the evening at the dark of night. Now, as a parent, well, as a teenager, I was told many times there's nothing good happening at 2 a.m., Ronnie. All right, and you know what? I figured that out, and so now I tell that to my kids, all right, and they're grown, but I've learned that there's not much good going on at 2 a.m. at night, but I can tell you what's going on in Centralia at 2 a.m., trains. <laughs> Just going to lay that out there, all right? Um, found that out the hard way, not at 2 a.m., but it was close, and it says, verse 10, a woman came to meet him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda now listen to this the woman had a hidden agenda in verse 11 it says she is loud and defiant 
Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him, and she brazenly says to him, now stop right there. Ask yourself this, who is the she? See, a lot of times we think, yeah, I know who the she is. She's a prostitute. She's a harlot. But I believe that when Solomon wrote this, he took a true story, and then he applied it spiritually to everybody. And the she in your life may not be a prostitute. It may not be something online. It may be something else that you're struggling with that nobody has ever been told about. And so every time you hear the word she, you think about that thing in your life that nobody else knows about, that you think nobody else is seeing. Because here's the reality. We as humans have a soul and we have a spirit. And the Bible tells us that the word of God divides even the soul and the spirit. See, the soul is what died when Adam and Eve took of the fruit they weren't supposed to. When, when God said, in the day that you eat of that, you will surely die, the soul is what died. Because Satan said, you won't die. And sure enough, they ate whatever that fruit was, and nah, nothing changed, but everything changed. And so now there was a division between the soul and the spirit. And so today we have a division between our soul and our spirit. See, our soul is what wants to be like Christ. Our soul is what's going to spend eternity with Christ. Our spirit is what we call the lust of the flesh. It's our mind, our will, our intellect. It's what Paul was talking about when he says, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I want to do this. The soul tells me what I'm supposed to do, but my spirit says this. Let's go ahead and read in verse 14. It says, I've made fellowship offerings today. I've fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. Now listen, here's what she's telling him. I got this all figured out. I've got what you want, and you've got what I want. And that's what the lust of the flesh tells us. That I've, it, it, I got this all worked out. That's, it, it told that to Samson. It told it to David. It's telling it to this young man in the, the city of Jerusalem. And it tells it to us on a daily basis. In verse 18, she says, Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until the morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of money and with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. So they knew exactly how many days or weeks before the husband was supposed to get back. See, this is what the lust of the flesh tells us. There's not going to be any consequences. I got this all figured out. Everybody else gets caught, but you know what? We're not going to get caught. Remember, the she isn't the prostitute back in Jerusalem. The she is the lust that we have, the desire that we have. In verse 21, it says, she seduces him with her persistent pleading, and she lures him with her flattering talk. Folks, this is what the lust of the flesh does. It keeps reminding you of all those things that were on the previous verses. I've got this all worked out. We're not going to get caught. Nobody will ever know. 
And you know what? It works for a little while, maybe for years. In verse 22, it says, he follows her impulsively. Now, I put in red without restraint because I'm going to explain why. He follows her impulsively. And then Solomon gives three examples. One is, he, he follows her impulsively like an ox. Or he follows her impulsively like a deer. Or he follows her impulsively like a bird. But all three, he says at the very end, he doesn't know it, but it will cost him his life. See, what that young man didn't know that Solomon was observing was that what he was doing was about to cost him his life. Because what that man didn't know was who was watching him. Say it out loud. The king of Israel. And do you know that there was a law in that day that if you committed adultery, they took you out and they, they stoned you. And it wasn't with like rocks that we threw on the playground. It was like hand-sized. And I believe that Solomon had that young man killed. Because that was the law. Because Solomon knew what it did to his family. Because his dad did the same thing. Let me show you something else. Next slide. Here are some things that you're going to find in this story that I'm going to show you in a New Testament passage. And I believe that you probably see on a daily basis in your life. And the first thing is that there was a young man or woman lacking sense. All right. Insert Ronnie. Then the thing that you're going to find out about this woman, this lust of the flesh, is that it's loud and defiant. And not only is it loud and defiant, but it feeds it and your desire to consume. See, that's what our spirit, our spirit just wants to take everything and consume it. We don't care if there's going to be anything next week. We just need to consume it now. And it tells you that you cannot lose. This is a money-back guarantee. You'll never get caught. And the way that it does is it's persistent and it flatters you. It tells you what you need to hear. And you know what it sounds like. You're probably hearing those words right now. And it's been saying that to you for three years, five years, 20 years. But what none of us are seeing, because she doesn't talk about the unanticipated cost, but it comes. So let me give you another, the New Testament example of this. And I want to tell you the story about the prodigal. Now, whenever you hear the word prodigal, most of us think that prodigal means the wayward son, the lost son. It doesn't. Prodigal actually means, the word prodigal means one who lacks restraint. See, this is why I believe all of us at some area of our life, lack restraint. This is where the lust of the flesh... See, it doesn't look like Proverbs 7 in your life. And so you tell yourself that Proverbs 7 doesn't apply to you. And it probably doesn't even look like the prodigal son story. You've never gone and demanded all of that you're owed. But you know what? You have. It just looks a little different in your personal life. And this is a principle that applies to all of us. And so in Luke 15 and verse 11, it says this. 
He also said, and this is Jesus telling the story. And what's interesting is, if you do a study on parables, parables were comparisons. All right, So we know that they were earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, but you'll always see that he used them. Like he was telling them something, and he goes, well, then he gives them a parable. He gives them an, an, an example, a word picture. And here's the word picture that he's using after he's already told them about the lost sheep. All right, And the word picture is this. He says, there's a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate I have coming. Does that not sound like loud and defiant? Does this not sound like a young man who lacks sense? And so he asked for what is coming to him. And so the father distributed to them the assets. And 13 says, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and he traveled to a distant country because he didn't want mom and dad knowing what he was going to be doing, where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Now, if you do a study on that, yes, that's exactly what he did. If you fill in the blank, that's what he did. In verse 14, it says, after he spent everything, remember, he's ignorant, he's young, has no sense. And he spends everything. A severe famine struck that country. And then he had nothing. And so he went to work to, for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. I don't know if you realize this, but Israelites did not have pigs. Well, they weren't supposed to because this was against everything that they stood for. And so here he is working for the enemy. Not only is he working for the enemy, but he's doing the lowest job that could be considered by someone who is from Israel. So then um, he's feeding these pigs and he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods that the pigs were eating. But no one would give him any. In verse 17 it says this, when he came to his senses, folks, this is the difference between the prodigal and the young man in the Proverbs chapter 7. And that's this, he comes to his senses. And he said this, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. So he says, I'll get up. I'll go to my father and I'll tell him, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven, in, against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. And so he does this. And he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And what did the father do? He ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And the rest of the story is they throw a feast for this son. And the reality is this, that this is exactly what's happening in our lives. That, that we, just like that young man in Proverbs, we encounter something, the promise that is, is too, too much to resist. And we become like the prodigal in that we lack restraint in certain areas. And we give in to the lust of the flesh. And as we give in to the lust of the flesh, we find out that there's some things that aren't mentioned. And one of those was the results, the consequences. Because here's what we know is actions have consequences. And now understand this. Actions, regardless... If they are positive action or a negative action, have consequences. But we, we put different names on them. So if we, make, if we have a negative reaction to um, what a decision that we made, we call them a consequence. But if we have a positive outcome for a decision that we made, we call it a reward. 
And the reality is that when it comes to sin, I've told you this for the last three weeks, that sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Think about the young man in Jerusalem. It took him farther than he wanted to go. See, he probably just wanted to check things out. But all of a sudden, he finds out that he's in the home with her. And she's got it all perfectly laid out. And he didn't know that the king was watching. Think about the prodigal son. All the prodigal wanted was what was coming to him, what he was owed, what he was deserved. His dad was wealthy. He could afford to do this. And so the father gives that to them. And it takes him uh, farther than he wants to go. Keeps him longer than he wants to stay by losing everything. And then the famine happened at the same time. And it cost him more than he wanted to pay. See, he just wanted to have a little bit of fun. He just wanted to, to fulfill this desire that was in his heart. But because he was a prodigal, because he lacked restraint, what happened was it cost him a lot more than that. It cost him his inheritance. I don't know that we're any different than what we're seeing here. And so here's what I would encourage you is. Stop making the bad decisions and start deciding the good decisions. And here's two very smart decisions for us to make. First of all, I believe that we should decide to let go of what does not matter. Because what that young man experienced in Proverbs 7, it did not matter in the long run. It was not going to help him out. She was not the answer to his problems. The prodigal, getting the inheritance was not the answer to his problems. And so instead of decide, decide to let go of those things, the, the, what the flesh is telling us that we need, that voice, that, that she, that Proverbs 7 tells, decide to fight for what does matter. Decide to fight for eternity. Decide to fight for what's right. We heard Jermaine talk about how that he made a big decision to, to leave a job that he enjoyed to pursue where God was calling him. See, I believe that all of us have that same opportunity to let go of those things that, that, that seem comfortable, that seem right for us, that seem like it's the, the best thing, but in the end it's not. Because whether you realize it or not, all of us are running to a stronghold. And you're either running to a stronghold that is going to come off as a prison or you're going to run to a stronghold that is God, that is a refuge. The only difference is the doors. Because it looks the same on the outside. It's designed to keep people from uh, coming in to hurt you, the refuge that God provides. But the prison is designed to not allow you to leave. And we've got to watch out what we're doing because you don't realize it's a prison until you're in chains. And you don't, see, it's too late then. And see, we've told ourselves that, that this wasn't going to, it's going to work out just fine. And then all of a sudden, you're in a cold cell locked up. So what do you do with this? I, I would go to 2 Corinthians and I would, I would read this verse and I would apply it into my life. And it's this. Have you ever seen that, that, that game called Whack-A-Mole? Have you ever felt like you're in that game and you're not the one holding this? You're the one popping your head up? And life is whacking you no matter which way you, you turn? 
Well, 2 Corinthians kind of explains why we feel like this in our Christian life. It says, for we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. There's a problem. We think that it's, it's me. I can fix this problem right here. But it's not this problem. It has nothing to do with this body. It has nothing to do with the spirit. It's all about the soul. And how do we do that? For our weapons, our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Remember, strongholds. The weapons that God has designed are designed to tear down the strongholds, to tear down the prisons that are are holding us back. And in verse 5, it says, we demol- listen to this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. Now, folks, this is why I can tell you that Proverbs 7, the prodigal story, and 2 Corinthians 10 are all talking about the same thing. Because it wasn't necessarily what that young man was doing physically, it was where his soul was. It was where his heart was. Because that's where all sin starts. See, you know, they had this, if you committed adultery, it was sin. And Jesus clarified, he said, look, if you, could, if you think about committing adultery, you've already sinned. Why? Because sin happens at the soul level. And this is why you feel like you're in a game of whack-a-mole when it comes to your spiritual life. Because you're trying to, to solve this flesh problem, this lust of the flesh, and soothe it and get it out of the way. But every time you try to do that, because you are not using the right tools that God has given us, life whacks you on. And then you pop up over here and you say, I'm going to try it this time. But you're not using the right tool, and so life whacks you again. And so we've got to do what 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, and that's this, that we've got to get rid of the arguments. We've got to get rid of the pretensions. These are the things that we're telling ourselves because these things set themselves up against the knowledge of God. It's going against everything that our soul has been designed once we have become saved. And, and, and it's in conflict with the spirit, the lust of the flesh. And here's how we do it. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Folks, you want to stop? You want to have victory over that area that you keep giving into? That you lack discipline? That you lack restraint? The area that you're a prodigal in? You can only do that by taking every thought captive. Because the problem is this. The problem isn't the affair that you have with the person at the office. The problem was six months earlier when you flirted. Thinking, oh, well, see, that's that's not even flirting. That message that I sent them online, that doesn't really mean what you think it means. And then all of a sudden, you lose your family. All of a sudden, you lose your job. All of a sudden, you lose your career. And it started way over here. Why? Because you did not take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's, you want victory in your life? You've got to be able to take every thought captive. And you know which thoughts I'm talking about. Because those are the thoughts that you've never told anybody else. But see, just like that young man in Jerusalem, the king was watching. And in our lives, the king is watching. And he sees us. Folks, I don't do this out of condemnation. This this is what love looks like. I don't want you to struggle. I don't want you. I want you to have victory in your life. 
And so, so do this with me. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. And just listen as I continue. I want to read a passage to you. It, it, it'll be up on the screen, but I, I really, if you just close your eyes and hear what I'm about to say. And the passage is Psalms 32. In Psalm 32, 1, it says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The person telling us this is King David, the man caught in adultery with Bathsheba. And it wasn't about the adultery. It was about the four sons that died because of it. It was about the turmoil that he put the kingdom of Israel through, about the turmoil that he put his family through. How pleasant it is when God has forgiven us. In verse 2, it says this in Psalm 32. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, that's what the lust of the flesh does. It deceives us and it tells us that it's all going to be okay. No one else is going to know about this. And David is telling us, and you know exactly what he means, because how many times have you finally repented, finally got caught And that burden was lifted. In verse 3 it says, When I kept silent, when I didn't tell anybody, when I thought nobody knew, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. In verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer sea. Folks, I've lived through this. I know what this looks like and I'm confident that I'm I'm in a, a room full of folks that have lived just like this. In verse 5 it says, Then I acknowledge my sin to you, To God. This is who we need to acknowledge it to. And did not conceal my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions. Does it sound a little bit like the prodigal who came to his senses? I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time that you may be found. See, the problem is that when you're out there and you're caught up in the flesh and you're caught up in the voice, you probably don't go to the Lord and pray about it. And I hope right now that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you in such a point that you are asking. And you are letting the king who sees, who knows what no one else knows, what's going on in your life. Because when we do that, he says that when great floodwaters come, they will not reach you. And now he's talking to God. You are my hiding place. You are my stronghold. You are my refuge. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.